before we get going, here's the bit where I remind you that nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets. You're about to listen to a special preview of The Endgame, featuring my partner in crime, Bill Fleckenstein, and our very special guest, Steve Eisman of the Eisman Group within Newburger Berman. Steve was made prominent, first of all, in Michael Lewis's book, The Big Short. His character in there, Mark Baum, was played superbly by Steve Carell. Steve is a long-time inhabitant of financial markets and a fascinating guy to talk to. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Steve Eisman. Every episode of the Grant Williams podcast, including The Endgame, The Super Terrific Happy Hour, The Narrative Game, This Week in Doom, and Shifts Happen, is available to copper and silver tier subscribers at my website, grant-williams.com. Copper tier subscribers get access to all the podcasts, while members of the silver tier get both the podcasts and my monthly newsletter, Things That Make You Go Hmm. So, if you enjoy what you hear on the show and you want more high-quality content like it, then please make your way over to grant-williams.com and join our exciting community today. And now, on with the show. Well, Steve, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate uh, you giving up an hour of your time on uh, whatever the hell day is, Friday afternoon. Friday afternoon, it's a little quiet. Absolutely. Well, this this podcast, the End Game, we've uh, you know we've been on the search, Bill and I, for something that we know never happens. That nothing ends, but it shifts. You know, we we get these ch- these changing conditions, and we've seen so many changes in financial markets and the conditions. And you know, it really feels more and more like we're coming to the end of something and are about to move into a, a completely new paradigm. So, you know, Bill and I are keen to pick your brains on on what that might look like and how we move from here and, and, and how you see this playing out and what you think might be coming next. All right, so let's just go back a little bit to set the stage. Um, the modern version of the meaning of paradigm was created by uh, Thomas Kuhn, who published his book in 1962, which was the year I was born. Let's not add up what the hell that makes me. (laughs) We're all all roughly around there, so let's ignore it. It's called The Structure of Scientific Revolutions. And he mostly talks about physics and how you move from one paradigm to another. And there were several points in the book which were people don't give up their paradigms easily because the assumptions are so embedded in their heads. So what I like to say is you don't think about your paradigm, you inhabit it. And generally, you don't question it until the evidence is so ridiculously strong, you have to admit to yourself that you're wrong. That happens in two ways. One, generally time. And number two, once in a while, you get hit hit over the head with a two by four. That's less normal. That concept of paradigm, I think, it applies very much to investing. You go through periods of styles. You know, people like to talk about market leadership. I don't think that captures it. I think it's really a paradigm. So in the 90s, when I was just starting in this business, you know, one of the major paradigms was to invest in large multinational companies like GE. That was the way to go. And people invested in them in years. And then, you know, the earnings growth wasn't so great. What happened to GE, we all know. And over time, people realized that these companies weren't coming back. 
So that was a time change in paradigm. The next wave of paradigm really took place between 2002 and 2008, which is let's invest in large financial companies like Goldman, Morgan Stanley, it's Bank of America, et cetera. What, what was the concept? You know, earnings are growing. These guys are geniuses because they're getting paid so much money and making so much money. And, you know, everybody said, oh, my God, these guys know how to manage risk, blah, blah, blah. And that proved to be true until 2008 because it became clear that it was not true. That's what I call getting hit overhead by a two by four. That just happened really quickly. So that ended in 08. And then the Fed really cut rates. And so then essentially what you were being paid for was to take as much risk as possible. And so the paradigm shifted to let's invest in growth stocks, largely technology companies, because they're very innovative. And within those growth companies, eventually it became let's invest in the hyper growth companies that have big revenue growth and negative earnings. And what nobody seemed to understand because it was a paradigm was that not that these companies weren't innovative, they were, and not that they weren't great companies, they were, but the valuations of them got so high because rates were effectively zero. And that was a function of the discounting mechanism. So then you get to 2000, call it the end of 21 and then 22, Fed starts to raise rates. And all of a sudden, things seem to be shifting. You know, the people who had invested in these stocks for years and had made so much money get hit over the head by two by four. And it wasn't like necessarily the fundamentals had shifted so much. In some cases, they did because you had companies who had done very well in COVID and, you know, a big pull forward in earnings. Some it was just true that they were still good. But, you know, with rates higher, the discounting mechanism had a real effect. And so if you look, you know, all growth stocks did badly. Even NVIDIA was down 40%. But within those groups, the same companies that everybody loved, which were the hyper-growth companies, were down 75 to 90% last year. You know, when you're down 75 to 90%, you can't rest your laurels anymore on, that. oh, these companies are so innovative. Yeah, yeah, they're innovative, but my portfolio has been decimated. Right. So... Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, certain tech companies that have real earnings won't do well in the future. You know, like NVIDIA is very innovative, whether it's worth the multiple that it's at, we could debate. But there isn't any question that's, that's, you know, a great company. But just to give you an idea how insane it got, you know, take two companies that I know. One's called The Firm and the other one's called Trupanion. They have nothing to do with one another. A firm is a buy now, pay later company which is really a version of credit cards, but it was masquerading as a tech company. And Trupanion is a animal health insurance company that doesn't even masquerade as a tech company because it has nothing to do with tech. It's an insurance company. The only thing these two companies have in common are that they were big revenue growth, negative earnings. And so in a year like 2021, where those stocks did very well, the correlation between those two companies who have nothing to do with one another was crazy high. And then in 2022, when all these stocks collapsed, again, the correlation between these two companies was very, very high. I think Trupanion was down know, 60% and Affirm was down 85%. Good for Trupanion. So 
I don't think those stocks are coming back. So where are we going? You know, the market is making this assumption that the Fed's going to eventually cut rates. I'm not a believer in that. If they do, big growth companies will have another, you know, great leg. If I, I'm of the camp that if you take Powell at his word and rates stay higher for longer, we're going to move into a new paradigm. And what's that going to look like? It doesn't mean that people are going to abandon tech. They'll still invest in it. But I think you're going to see a lot more themes that are going to be just as important, and you're going to want a much more diversified portfolio. So what am I talking about? You're talking about, I'm just giving an example, infrastructure. You know, two aspects to it. You've got the government spending all this money on infrastructure in the United States, and then you've got the issue of the supply chain coming home. You know, for 40 years, we had a situation where the supply chain went overseas, because it was much cheaper. That was very deflationary. The problem was that during COVID, everybody realized it was, yeah, it's cheaper, but it's an incredibly brittle system, which completely broke down during COVID. So a lot of companies are bringing their supply chain closer to home. A lot of it's coming back to the United States. And that's a big theme that's going to evolve over the next several years. So like I said, I think the paradigm that we're going to go to is much more diversification. You know, I don't think for most clients, you know, we have, for example, in the Eisman group, uh, you know, we as a group have multi-generational clients who have very different risk profiles. And I think you're, what, what the other paradigm you're going to want to move to is going to be much more careful about how you're tailoring your portfolios to each individual rather than, oh, let's put 50% of our money in tech and let it roll. Also, rates are a lot higher. Nothing wrong with investing in treasuries yeah. um, or bonds. Part of the problem people have is that they have such huge gains embedded in their portfolios. It's not easy to sell something and pay a 35% capital gain and take that money and put it into 5% three-month treasuries. But, you know, over time, people put more money in, you know, or you sell stuff because the fundamentals are deteriorating. You'll put a portion of people's portfolios in treasuries, at this point, short-term treasuries, and some bonds. Um, and so, like I said, you're going to have a much more diversified portfolio. I think the concept of, God forbid, risk-adjusted returns is going to come back. Steve, let me ask you, because I think anyone that has had any kind of length of a career has been through multiple paradigm shifts, as you say, and you, you don't really recognize them necessarily until you look back. Right. But the key, I think, is recognizing that period where the paradigm is changing. That's where the money to be made. And, and you know, nobody more famously than you identified that paradigm shift back in 2007. And the rest of the world has the good fortune to have seen that story chronicled, both through Michael Lewis's book and obviously the movie. So how do you deal with sensing a paradigm is shifting and being able to position yourself for that paradigm shift, but stay both in the game in that period where everybody else believes you're wrong and stay sane during that time, more importantly, because it's that's maybe even the harder task. So... That's probably the hardest thing to do in investing. I mean, yeah. as you know, in our business, being early or too early is the equivalent of being wrong. So I think you could have a theory that things are going to change. But before you do anything significant, 
there has to be some kind of evidence that you're looking for that's going to show you that it's time. So, for example, if you go back to 2007, people who bet against The full conversation is available to subscribers to the copper and silver tiers of my website, grant-williams.com. Nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets.